Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Nature's Finest. It's a rainy, cloudy day today, the day that I'm beginning to record this episode. A beautiful, cooler day, kind of fall-like, even though it's August. And just a wonderful day to sit back and talk about some of the natural wonders that are out there in the world. And speaking of which, I have another great one for you. We're going to go back to central Indiana. We're going to go there for the second time since this show premiered. And in doing so, we're going to visit Yellowwood State Forest, just west of Nashville, Indiana. This is a more remote section of a decently popular area. And of course, a while ago I covered Brown County State Park, which is just on the other side of Nashville, just east and it's a beautiful park with around 60 miles of hiking and ability to hike, bike, even ride your horse. And I don't remember if I mentioned in that episode, but Brown County does have a neighbor and a formidable one at that. Uh, just a few miles up the road from Brown County's West Gate, there's a real gem that awaits you. And of course, that is going to be Yellowwood State Forest which is going to be just west on State Route 46 and up a lane and a half wide road with gravel and dirt roads spurring off of it. That is exactly where Yellowwood State Forest sits peacefully and silently, such that if you were to stop for even a second and hold your breath, you wouldn't hear a single thing beyond the occasional song of a bird. This episode is very special because I had an experience like I had never had before when I visited there. A complete break from interstates, major cities, and even moderately sized cities. Where I stayed and where I hiked, there was not a single person, not a single sound other than the sounds of nature and the sounds of silence. I've been places like the Smokies, which can get super crowded and backed up with foot traffic and car traffic. I've been places like Cumberland Gap and the White Mountains of New Hampshire, where it's not crowded at all, but you're also not alone by any stretch of the imagination. And then there's Yellowwood, with peace and quiet like I've never experienced before, and beautiful views to top it off. I couldn't be more excited to present this 25,000 acre natural wonder to you. And that's exactly what I'm gonna do right now. So quick little overview first, just a little quick history of the park. Yellowwood State Forest was established in 1940. By the 50s, three lakes, a shelter, and a residence had been completed by the CCC and the Works Project Administration. Some of the land maintained by the forest, which amounts to a total of around 25,000 acres, was all farmland until the forest had regenerated with a little help from forest personnel. The 25,000 acres belonging to the forest were acquired one way or another, bit by bit over the years, and now it is home to a cabin, three campgrounds, 
and over 50 miles of hiking as well as various other activities. So now I'll just go through a few things that the park offers, a few park amenities, or in this case forest amenities. Even though, like many other forests, the Yellowwood State Forest has remained somewhat undeveloped, a wide variety of activities can still be done there. Uh, a lot of different things, actually. More than 50 miles of hiking trails are in the forest. Backpacking can be done throughout the forest with backcountry camping in designated areas, and the best place for that will be on the 42-mile Tecumseh Trail. Beyond that, visitors will find a handful of other trails as well as opportunities for boating, fishing, hunting, gold panning, that's a new one, I hadn't encountered that before, horseback riding, equestrian camping, and multiple places to just grill out or have a picnic. Vault-style bathrooms can be found in pretty good numbers, actually, throughout the forest. Now, the hunting, gold panning, fishing, and boating, of course, are activities for which you'll probably want to have a proper license. And backcountry camping does require a permit, and I believe there are certain areas you need to stick to. Those who want to go boating in Yellowwood Lake don't need to have their own boat, as rentals are available. Now, what kind of boat can you take there? Motorized and non-powered, uh, non-motorized boats are able to be used in the lake. Uh, and rentals include pedal boats, which is kind of interesting. I've always wanted to try that. Now, lodging and dining can be taken care of via the amenities that nearby Brown County State Park and the village of Nashville can offer. But the focal point of my discussion on lodging is going to be on two options in particular that I'm going to recommend over any other choice. The first option is camping at Yellowwood. The sites are pretty big. There are vault toilets on each campground and potable water is available. There are no showers, there's no laundry. This is not such a developed campground as we've seen at places like, uh, I would say Blue Licks. That was the last episode. They had a pretty developed campground. It had everything from laundry to showers, and everything had running water. My campsite that I had, it had running water. This is a pretty undeveloped campground, and really beyond the vault toilets and a couple of potable water sprockets, there's not really a ton but it's the peace and quiet that, th that you're there for, and that's why I'm recommending it. As a matter of fact, it's a real back-to-basics experience that'll offer you a lot of peace and quiet. I believe there's not even a site that has electricity hookups. But like I said, it's the peace and quiet that is really what you're there for, and... Those with RVs or generators won't have to worry about creature comforts anyways because you have a power source that's got you covered. Many of the sites are up, in, up within tree lines that provide a lot of shade and perhaps even a bit of privacy. And there's a few sites that are kind of isolated from other sites, which is really cool. And the one thing I will mention about the camping is that it is first come, first serve, no reservations. 
which is an interesting point because the one time I thought about camping there in the months leading up to the recording of this episode, it was, I found it kind of bizarre. And this is not to say it's a bad system, but I found it kind of bizarre because I live roughly 100, 110 miles from Yellowwood. And I can call, I'm sure, if there's somebody in the office and say, Hey, I'm thinking about coming over. Is there a campsite available? And they'll say, yeah, of course, if there is one. But what if I get there and they're all taken, the ones that were available? You can't make a reservation. You can't have them hold on to it for you. So you kind of just go there and hope for the best. Now, the good thing about that is there are several other state or privately run campgrounds including one at Brown County State Park and one just up the road from Brown County State Park uh, that is a KOA that has cabins and campsites. But it's still the general idea that you're going there kind of not knowing. It's not a largely offensively popular place to camp. The times I've been there, there were occupants, of course, but not on the level of, say, the campground at Cades Cove down in the Smokies. So while I don't see it being a massive problem, I could see where the occasional Friday night prospective guest could show up and not see a site available, and I could imagine that could prove frustrating. It seems like it might be an isolated problem, but still a potential problem. But either way, if you can work it out, I recommend you check out that campsite because it's just beautiful. The other lodging option at Yellowwood that I'm going to recommend, and this is one I do actually have experience with, is the lodge at Yellowwood. And I have to tell you, this alone is worth its own section in an episode. It's worth its own episode. But I'll make my peace with giving it a its own section within this episode. And I'll say, I don't mean a lodge like a hotel-style lodge that you find at ski resorts, like the one at Pine Mountain that I spoke of, the one at Blue Licks. It's not like that. It's called the Lodge at Yellowwood, but what it really is, is a cabin. It's a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half, single-family cabin. Three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath. And... It's got a laundry room, it's got a full kitchen, living room, it's got an awesome great room, it's got an outdoor entertainment area complete with a propane grill, a nice one too, like a Weber or something. And all around the cabin, 360 degree wooded views, every single angle out from which you look from the cabin, there is woods. You are totally, totally, totally isolated. And downstairs, a lot of windows, and I do mean a lot of windows, let all that natural light in during the day and allow you to see out into the vast wilderness that surrounds you. It is a surreal experience. Now, this cabin, I should mention this, can sleep up to eight people. So keep that in mind. It can accommodate a pretty good crowd. And when I say 360-degree wooded view around the cabin, I do mean it. 
walk around the cabin, sit in either of the outdoor living areas. There's a front porch and a back patio. And really, the driveway is so big, if you don't fill it up with cars, and I would say probably won't, you could set up a chair there and look out down the creek and up over the ridge. But what you'll see around you from either of the outdoor living areas is completely natural. The only signs of life around you are the cabin itself and the gravel forest access road that the cabin sits on. Other than that, your view of the woods in any direction is 100% uninterrupted with absolutely no buildings in view anywhere and absolutely no noise anywhere except the sounds of nature and the occasional car passing by. And I do mean very occasional. I could probably count on one of my hands how many cars passed by while I was there. Sitting out back by where the grill is gets you a view of a little creek down under the ridge. The ridge itself is completely entirely wooded. Sitting out front gets you a view of some a nice little pine grove that's out front and kind of off to the right on the property line. Other things that might matter to some people, not me so much, but some people, and I understand. There is high-speed wireless internet. And hooked up to that wireless internet is a very large smart TV located in the great room. Now, the great room has a nice wall of windows. Two of the windows are actually just French doors that have nice big windows in them. And the nice view that it has is out towards the back patio and out to the ridge, which is kind of a nice view. Across from where you see that view at is the smart TV, and it's the only TV in the house. Since most people will want to go somewhere like this to get away from all that connectivity anyways, only one TV shouldn't matter all that much. I wouldn't imagine a whole lot of you are going to care about that. When I stayed at the cabin, the internet was getting worked on, it was being serviced, and therefore it did not work, and I did not care. The forest staff told me about it ahead of time, and the associate I was communicating with was very apologetic about it. It was a fantastic team, by the way. And my response was, because... They sent me an email, and they were basically like, just kidding, the internet isn't working because we're working on it, we're getting it serviced. And I remember replying, not exactly like this, I didn't, I was a lot more professional and polite than this, but basically I was like, I don't care. I'm not using that. I'm, I'm going to this cabin in the middle of the woods on a gravel road that my sporty little hatchback can hardly access anyways. I'm going out here to get away from all that stuff. I don't want internet. I don't want to have that level of connectivity. I'm just trying to exist. While I appreciated the heads up and I, I let them know that, it was of no consequence to me that the internet was being serviced. I'm sure that was a welcome change from a customer complaint, but that was just where I came from and that's just how I was treating the trip, and despite the fact that I had no internet, I certainly managed to survive. I will say this, there is a very 
weak. I guess it depends on how you define weak, but there is a, a, a weak to moderate cell phone signal such that if you don't need the greatest picture quality, you can stream off of your data. And it's certainly good enough to make a phone call or a video call, much less send a text message. So I might have used the internet for an hour and a half the whole time I was there out of a nearly 72-hour trip. So do with that information what you will. So the full bath is upstairs. The half bath is downstairs, kind of set up with the laundry. And this is a pretty great setup because the pull-out couch that adds the ability for you to sleep eight, because it would be six without the pull-out couch. But the pull-out couch is in the next room over from the half bath. So if you're sleeping downstairs, you don't have to worry about going all the way up to the bathroom unless you need to shower. Laundry, obviously, is downstairs with the half bath. And all of that is adjacent to the fully loaded kitchen. It's got everything you need. Pots, pans, spatulas. I think they even had salt and pepper. Eating utensils, plates, cups, mugs. You name it, they had it. Only thing you gotta bring is food. Uh, I believe they even set you up with uh, dish detergent and a rag or a sponge. Uh, dish towels to dry the dishes. And, man, did I even have paper towels? I think I did. They left you set up pretty well. And uh, the full bath, as I said, is upstairs. Each bedroom is a pretty nice size. There's one that's a little on the smaller side, but how big do you need it to be? Are you moving in? You're just sleeping there, so... The smaller one, of course, you could probably give it to the kids, or... Heck, if you're two, three people, you might not even need it. But the rooms are... Within proximity, theoretically, of the high-speed internet signal. So you'll get it throughout the house. None of the bedrooms have a TV, however. Your only TV is the TV in the great room, the big 70-inch smart TV. I don't personally think that TVs would add to the experience at this lodge. It might even take away from the experience. Because... In my mind, if you're there for the forest, and not everybody is, you, you might be listening to this and thinking, well, I should go there and just relax with a book. It's a great place for that, too. But if you're in the mindset I was, and a majority of you will be, because you're probably here for the trail talk, if you're not fast-forwarding to get to it. And I just, I think y'all are the kind of people... If I'm speaking to you, you're probably the person that is going to spend less time watching TV and more time outside hiking the trails. So for me, and if you're thinking like me, then a bedroom TV wouldn't really add anything anyways. So the absence of it really probably won't bother you. One thing that the rooms do have upstairs and the hallway is there's an entire wall of closets that spans two bedrooms and the hallway. It's just a giant continuous closet with multiple sets of multiple sets of doors. So, if you do bring a lot of stuff, 
maybe you're going to be there. I think the maximum reservation is two weeks or something like that. If you're going to be there that long, you might need the storage, so it's nice to have. But overall, and I'll discuss it a little bit more later when I discuss kind of my experience with Yellowwood, but this is my favorite lodging option in the area to recommend, just because of how simple and peaceful and isolated it is. And yet, if I didn't mention this, despite that isolation and despite that location away from everything, I don't think you're more than eight, nine, maybe ten minutes from the town of Nashville, which does have a grocery store and a bunch of little touristy gift shops and artisan bakeries and things like that. So you're definitely not completely devoid of civilization. You're just given the option to ignore it or avoid it if you wish to have that option, if you wish to take advantage of that option. Of course, there are other lodging options in the area. There's hotels, brand names that you know and perhaps even love, all located in the nearby towns of Columbus and Nashville. Nashville, like I said, is 8 to 10 minutes east of Yellowwood on 46. Columbus is another 20 minutes on top of that. I highly recommend, I'll say it one more time, enriching your experience by staying on the forest property, either by camping or staying in the lodge. It'll most definitely make for a trip you'll remember for a long time, as this forest really is truly enchanting. And of course, I will pad that in a way by saying, even if you can't stay in the lodge at Yellowwood or the campground at Yellowwood, due to maybe one or the other's booked up or the lodge is a bit steep price-wise for you, but you want a solid roof over your head, get a hotel in, the, in a neighboring town if you have to, because this forest is worth visiting no matter where you stay. Personally, where I'm coming from is I'm just really saying more than anything, as a person who has a lot of experience with this area, the ultimate complete experience can be had by staying in Yellowwood State Forest one way or another. Now, I'm going to give you a little crash course in area amenities. I went into this pretty in-depth on my Brown County episode. If you've heard that episode, which went up right around New Year 2023, then you'll be pretty familiar with the area, and not a whole lot has changed since New Year 2023. But, like I said, I'll throw a quick refresher in here, just in case you haven't tuned into that episode, or if you've just otherwise since forgotten, because New Year 2023 was a while ago, especially by the time this episode got posted. But there's actually a lot to do in the area that Yellowwood State Forest is in. There's a little bit of a tourism industry based around the nearby towns of Nashville, Columbus, and even, to an extent, the tiny town of Edinburgh, which is just north of Columbus. Each town offers at least a little something to do and serves its own unique role in the area's vast and fun to-do list. It's not overly touristy like Gatlinburg or Myrtle Beach, but there are a few gift shops, there's a music and performing arts venue... There's a few golf resorts, campgrounds privately and state-owned. 
Brown County State Park is right there, and I'll break that down a little bit more for you right now, actually. So about 25 minutes east of Yellowwood State Forest, uh, you got the town of Columbus, Indiana. It's more a city. And despite its size, you're never going to believe me, but that's going to be your big city for the area. That's not much of a statement because it's light years smaller than the nearby city of Indianapolis. It's about 45 minutes north, I think. And, of course, the slightly further away towns of Cincinnati and Louisville, they also dwarf Columbus. But there's a nice downtown area nonetheless, and it's got some shops, some restaurants, bars, and more. The outskirts of town provide more of your name-brand dining, places like Red Lobster, Chick-fil-A. But the main draw of Columbus, I would say, the thing that, if I was to go out on a limb and say what the locals are most proud of, I would say it would be the architecture. If you're an architecture buff, you'll want to swing through town real quick and check out some of the unique buildings within the city limits. Region, regionally referred to as kind of the Athens, Greece of the Midwest, you'll find sculptures, interesting buildings, and other artwork, and you'll find that they're not in short supply. And pretty much everywhere you drive in Columbus, you'll be sure to see an architectural masterpiece from one era or another. Columbus also has a fair share of name-brand hotels, as I mentioned earlier, so if you choose to lodge in a hotel and wish to find a name that you know and trust, Columbus is going to be your place for that. Further north by about 10 miles, uh, Edinburgh, Indiana, is a small town that boasts a couple of unique amenities, including a massive antique mall, an outlet center, another handful of hotels, and a few restaurants. The Exit 76 Antique Mall, the one I was talking about earlier, is a time capsule full of awesome stuff. And if you venture into civilization for a little bit of fun, be sure to check that place out. I've been there tons of times over the years, and I always leave with a cart full of stuff. And of course, a restaurant I have a history of recommending, even on this show, it's uh, Montana Mike's Steakhouse. And it's right in that vicinity as well. Some of you are going to know that name as a steakhouse chain. But where I'm from, we don't have any locations uh, for that steakhouse. So the closest one to me is going to be the one in Edinburgh, Indiana. And therefore, anytime I get out there, it's a little bit of a treat. If you go there, they have these uh, kind of hash browns or... Uh, potato rounds that are stuffed with cheese and bacon and then they serve serve it up with uh, spicy ketchup for dipping it's fantastic now a little bit closer to Yellowwood about 10 minutes east of Yellowwood actually is the town of Nashville and this little town's a pocket-sized Gatlinburg really that maintains its identity even still today as a shopping district my one complaint over the years is that in Gatlinburg uh, for example a lot of the shopping centers and malls have been sacrificed and turned into breweries or parking lots. But Nashville is a pint-sized replica, and I stand by this statement, Nashville is a pint-sized replica of the ideals that Gatlinburg used to represent. It's still full of artisan shops and bakeries and candy stores. This is uh, even a leather place and 
all different kinds of things. There's a, a Life's Good store there. And there's all kinds of stuff up and down the main drag. And even off a couple of side streets. My f favorite store that I've ever shopped in, ever, anywhere, the Woodlands Gallery, is also in downtown Nashville. And it's just got so many awesome cabin decorations and accessories, including a lot of some of the most real-looking faux pine trees. I hesitate to call them Christmas trees because I really don't think that's what they are, what they're intended for. But there's just, they're so lifelike. And you walk in and even the smell is something outdoorsy, something naturey, something that between that and what you're seeing when you walk in that store, it just makes you feel like you're outdoors or, or that at least you're one with nature. It's a very hard feeling to describe. But it's another place where I always leave with bags upon bags of stuff. I simply cannot stay away. Further... There are a few good food options in Nashville, including a couple of local pizza places, a barbecue food truck, and a few other things. Nashville also is home to a grocery store for those of you looking to camp and grill out or even stay in the cabin and cook. And then, of course, just east of Nashville is Brown County State Park, and of course, while I've done an episode on Brown County, which was actually my first full park review I ever did, the... Basics I'm definitely okay to cover here because I believe it helps make a case for Yellowwood. The basic amenities of Brown County include a full lodge with a dining room, indoor and outdoor pools, 20 plus miles of hiking trails, 20 to 30 miles of biking trails, but hikers can use them too as long as they yield. There's three campgrounds, a bunch of cabins and cottages. There's a camp store, a gift shop, and tons of and tons and tons and tons of overlooks. There's even a few lakes. There's a ton more I can say about Brown County. But if you go check out Yellowwood, I'll just leave it at this. If you go to check out Yellowwood, if you go and make a point of going to Yellowwood, just at least try and drive through Brown County State Park. It'll cost you 7 bucks or $9 if you're out of state. But it's so worth it. Just drive through. If you have more time, that's awesome. But if you just have 10 minutes, just drive through the park. There's two entrances, so you can just drive from one to the other, and I don't believe you even have to make a turn, or maybe you only have to make one turn. Just follow the signs. But it is just such a fantastic park, and it's my belief as someone who spends a lot of time in this area of Indiana that what you'll really find is that once you've investigated Brown County and once you've investigated Yellowwood, the two kind of go hand in hand. You're going to realize that you have favorite trails at both places, and you're going to make a point of visiting both places when you visit the area. So now what I think I'm going to do is just take a minute and talk about getting to the area. Again, if you listen to the Brown County episode, you already have kind of a feel of getting to the area. But just like the area amenities and things like that, I'll just go through, give you a quick refresher. If you haven't listened to Brown County, then great. This is your first time hearing it, and it might be some good information. So, Interstate 65 is your only interstate running near Yellowwood. 
It'll spit you out roughly 20 to 25 minutes east of your destination, where you'll then head west on Indiana 46 for a spell, and then you're there. If you're coming from Louisville or Indy, you'll probably come that way. Coming from the east or west, it's a little bit trickier because your east-west route through the immediate area and kind of the main drag through the area is Indiana State Route 46. It's 45 to 55 mile an hour, depending on if you're running through a town or not. And it runs pretty well functionally 99% of the time. I almost never run into traffic on 46. But it is more of a cruising road than a straight-line speed kind of road like our nation's interstates tend to be. Interstate 74 is your closest east-west interstate, but it runs pretty far north of Yellowwood. So if you're coming from the east, you'll be getting off at Greensburg and hitting or hitting uh, Indiana State Route 46. Uh, from the west, depending on how far north or south you are of Yellowwood's position, you might use 74, you might use 70, you might just use a series of state routes. So it just depends, honestly. But uh, generally speaking, it's not a difficult place to get to. Um, but it is something to think about. It's not necessarily right off the exit of three different major highways like some parks are. And I think that's going to bring us to Trail Talk. There are a lot of trails and there's a lot of mileage in this park. And I really don't know where to begin because I have experience with three or four trails there that I could go on and on and on about. So I'll do two pretty in-depth and then I'll do an honorable mention. And the honorable mention is something that I actually did a couple years ago when I was at Yellowwood, but I haven't had time to do it since. But I have a couple of great hikes to talk about with you today that are decently short and of course they're not your only options in the park. You also have a 40 mile, 42 mile maybe, backpacking route with the Tecumseh Trail. So you can do a section of it, you can backpack it, you can do pretty much whatever you want. There's somewhere right around 46 to 50 miles of hiking in the park. So it's kind of a take your pick kind of deal, but these are just my two favorites so far. And I'll start with the resource management trail. Now every forest, it seems like, has kind of an interpretive trail that teaches you about the area through signage and, and kind of a self-guided tour kind of a deal. There are two self-guided hikes at Yellowwood. Resource Management Trail is one of them. And it has a series of exhibits that are interpretive signs giving you all kinds of information that I'll get into in just a second. But the purpose of the trail is to create an immersive outdoor learning environment where visitors can come learn about what different trees thrive in the Yellowwood Forest. It educates the public on what it takes to effectively and efficiently manage a state forest. And hikers following and reading the interpretive signs can learn what types of trees can be found, what they look like, and more general info like that as well as learning about logging, prescribed fires, diseases affecting plant life, and other natural phenomena that trees are up against. And by the end of the trail, a hiker who stopped at each station has a new or renewed perspective on what it takes to run a state forest. This trail begins across from the forest office, where vault-style uh, vault toilets can also be found. Hikers can use the forest office parking lot for trail parking, and will follow signs across 
the access road past a pine grove and down below the ridge on the other side of the pine grove. There is a specific trail blaze uh, for the resource management trail. All of the trails actually have their own unique blaze. It is typically, from my memory, painted white and they use different shapes or logos to let you know what trail you're on. I know at one point I think they did use colored blazes or it might be the other way around and it used to be the white blaze and now it's the colored blazes but uh, you'll, you'll find some of the trails have the, the logos and shapes like I'm talking about but then there will also be like orange I don't remember which one's new and which one's old but the routes haven't changed so as long as you have a map and you know what you're looking for one or the other you're on the same route anyway so it, you'll be fine it is um, important to know what symbol you're following on this particular trail because part of the resource management trail is also part of the lake perimeter trail which is a strenuous roughly five mile hike around Yellowwood Lake whereas the trail that I'm talking about the resource management trail is a short one maybe 1.2 mile trail that's a loop decently easy maybe entry-level moderate trail so, uh, anyways, this trail also is just a really nice warm-up trail or just one to do in the morning or as a cool-down in the evening when you're ready to wind down for the day. It's not overly difficult. While there is the education kind of aspect to it, there's also the, you know, it's not paved, it's not developed, there's not buildings, you're not like right next to a parking lot or a road. It is out in the forest, and you can hike it, you can stop at each station and learn a thing or two about the forest that you're in, or you can just hike. Uh, the first time I did it, I followed the stations, and I learned a lot about what they do there in terms of keeping the forest the way that it is, and maintaining it, and keeping it healthy. But the second time I did it, I'd already read the signs, right? So I just did a nice, quick, 35-minute hike, and... What I found was the views are awesome because of the landscape that the Yellowwood Forest is on. It's a lot of rolling hills, uh, a lot of sudden incline changes that result in these really cool ridges and hill shapes around you and off in the distance. And the how thick the forest is is kind of interesting too because the most recent trip I took there, it was late winter, beginning of spring. So things were just starting to bud, but nothing was anywhere close to filled in in terms of, like, leafy growth. So you could see all the way through the forest for probably three-quarters of a mile, maybe a mile. And it was just an incredible experience. Just You could see all the way out, and what's beyond your trail is just completely undeveloped land. The other really impressive thing that I found about this trail was when I was out there, even though I was maybe never any more than two-thirds of a mile from the forest office, is that because this forest is set back so far from the highway, I mean, the closest interstate's a half hour away. The closest highway is two miles, maybe three miles away. And that's just, that's a 45 zone, so that's not going to be incredibly loud. And so what you get is just a completely quiet environment. 
where you really, if you're by yourself, you have nothing but your thoughts. Because I was the only person on that trail the second time I did it. The first time I did it, I saw one person walking their dog, probably a local. So what ended up happening was I was just completely alone. I was, I was one with the forest, as I, I liked to say at the time. And just seeing the sheer volume of land around me that was undeveloped was a really cool experience. It, it happens a lot in nature preserves and, and wildlife management areas, but it was something I hadn't dealt with before because I'm used to a lot of your 100, 200, 300 acre state parks with a few miles of trails and, you know, you go outside, hang a left and drive about half a mile and there's a farm or there's a, a neighborhood or something. And it just wasn't the case here. I mean, this is 20,000-ish acres of completely undeveloped land other than a couple of parking lots, a visitor center, and some bathrooms. So when you're out on the trail, when you're out in the woods, you are out in the woods. And uh, that's what I really liked about the resource management trail, is that it was just so intimate, isolated, and quiet despite being your kind of entry level, the trail that everyone does right when they get there because it's easy, the one that people take their kids on so they can learn about the forest. It's, uh, the, it's the popular trail, but it's also such that you're still out in the woods. You're not, you know, it's not like a, a paved sidewalk with all this development on it. I felt that was really a unique experience. What you'll find is... The trail starts off easy, and actually you kind of start off going down a little bit. Uh, there's plenty of elevation to gain, which you wouldn't think is the case because it's Indiana. But once you go down, you spend half a mile-ish, kind of just going up and down, like never really changing more than 5 to 20 feet in elevation. Sometimes it's a little sudden. You're kind of along, you're like right under a ridge, and you're following the shape of the hills and then you kind of go down into a holler and you're down there for a minute before you climb back up and it's not too bad of a climb you maybe come back up I think the most amount of elevation you gain is about 50 feet and really that's not even before you get to the prescribed burn signage about that teaches you about why they do prescribed burns and, and what that helps when you get to that sign, you're about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way up the steepest hill that I believe you climb while you're on the trail. You come back around, go back down the ridge, back down into the holler, or a holler, and when you come back around, you ascend a little bit, and you're back at the trail intersection you started at. Of course, reverse that process if you did it counterclockwise. I always go clockwise, but... Uh, it's a really nice trail. It's a good warm-up trail, especially if you're planning on doing a section of or all of Tecumseh, because I believe that does have a lot of sudden incline changes and rugged areas. Indiana rates that as a rugged trail, which is their word for very hard. So, you know, don't take that lightly. And, of course, do your own research. The one thing going for you is there's not wildlife everywhere just waiting to kill you. There's nothing there. They might have rattlesnakes. I'm not even sure if they have that. But there's no bears, there's no wolves, there's nothing like that. Yellowwood is completely devoid of large animals that want to kill you. So 
the only thing you're really dealing with on the trails is the difficulty and the easiest trail isn't really easy uh, the resource management trail isn't really all that flat there is a section of another trail that I'm actually fixing to talk about here in a second and the first portion is flat they actually uh, it's actually considered by the state of Indiana to be uh, wheelchair accessible up until you get to the bridge and I'll tell you more about that in a minute when I introduce the trail but even that trail gets difficult once you get past the accessible point so there's difficulty in each trail but it's nothing that even somebody in average shape couldn't handle if they put their mind to it I'm maybe carrying an extra 20-30 pounds at all times because I like to eat but I don't really have a hard time on their trails um, especially like your your moderate trails they don't really give me a hard time so if you're anything like me don't fret but the just know going in that other than one portion of one trail at this park all of the trails do have some difficulty and some incline change so just something to keep in mind but that's going to bring me into the talk i would like to do about the jackson creek trail this is a really unique trail it's another self-guided trail actually that runs part part ways along a section of yellowwood lake not for long maybe a quarter mile third of a mile but then it takes you up along a perpetual wetland right next to yellowwood lake they might even consider it part of yellowwood lake i don't know if wetlands are considered bodies of water or not that's science stuff that i don't really do a whole lot of research on but you get shown different kind of geographical phenomenons going on in the park i guess it would be geographic um, biological phenomenons I'm not really sure but like the wetlands that's really cool to see you're up against the lake for a second you go up under a pine grove and this is all in the first half a mile and that first half a mile is a mixture of gravel and dirt that a experienced wheelchair user could probably manage um, it's perfectly flat there's no roots there's no major issues that would make you think wow I can't pass this in a wheelchair um, I would call it to an extent walker friendly as well so anybody that's you know had a surgery and doing physical therapy needs a walker you want to get out in nature this is your trail or if you're just getting on in years and prefer to have something with you to fall back on um, so anyways uh, for the for any any hiker this up to this point you've done a really easy hike the first two-thirds or three-quarters of a mile up until you get to a bridge uh, that goes over Jackson Creek uh, it's perfectly flat and you're up under a pine grove there's a brochure you can take at the trailhead that has you stop make multiple stops I want to say 20 or 30 stops along the whole trail and so if you want to learn more about some of the biology and the plant life and, and, and some of the park history, and there's a whole lot of different things that go into it. They talk about, you know, animals that have been living in the park for years and what the land used to be, what it used to look like, what, what it's projected to look like. There's all kinds of uh, information at each station you stop at. There's numbered signs that correspond to the numbered uh, items in the brochure so you see number one on the brochure you see the number one sign on the trail and you know 
stop and read. There's something to see here. Now, if you just hike the accessible area of the trail, it's going to come out to a half mile, roughly, out to the creek, out to Jackson Creek, and then a half a mile back for a total of a mile round trip. If you do the whole trail, if you go up past the creek, across the bridge, up over the ridge line and back down around, it comes out to a mile and a half and you get a lot more stops along the self-guiding interpretation part of it. And it's really nice up there. It's really nice up at the top and then coming back down is nice. It's not it's not like climbing a mountain. You're in Indiana. But it is a really nice little trail that can educate you about some of the different ecosystems that exist within the forest there. And uh, it's a little bit more rigor if you can handle it uh, doing the whole trail because, like I said, there's some ups and downs. This could potentially be a really good warm-up trail, especially because the first half mile or so is completely flat so you get the blood flow and then you get the muscles stretched out and woke up and then you go on to some of the harder stuff um there is like i said a lot of ups and downs a lot of different pretty much every ecosystem present in the forest occurs somewhere along the trail jackson creek is there there's some wetlands there's some groves of pine trees and other things um, there's some yellowwood trees through there. It's a really nice area of the park to explore, and uh, it's a really unique thing to see all those different types of terrain and all those different kind, all the different kinds of wildlife you can see just all in one spot. So I thought that was a really unique experience, even though it's not the longest in the world. Then uh, my little honorable mention is going to come with a little fun fact first. So the trip I'm basing this episode off of occurred in late winter, early spring of 2023. Of course, the episode was written uh, about two, two weeks to a month later and recorded about two months after that. But... I have actually been to Yellowwood prior to that experience. And that was about about the same time of the year, 2021. And I we had never been. I actually this was a trip that I went on with my dad. We do a lot of traveling together because uh a eh, typical story, you know. When uh, growing up, he wanted us outside and experiencing what he experienced growing up cuz he for lack of a better way to put it, kind of grew up in the sticks. And uh, we just wanted to stay inside and play with all the latest video games. I grew up, outgrew all that. I still enjoy an occasional video game, but about 90% of my time is spent outside now. And, uh, of course, he was right there waiting to see me experience all that. So, we do a lot of traveling together, and this was uh, no exception. We were actually going there for Brown County. And uh, we stumbled upon Yellowwood when he opened up his little hiking app and found that there were there were 50 miles of trails at a park not too far away. Come to find out, it's Yellowwood State Forest. So 
he got me on board with going and checking it out, and we just discovered basically a completely different world from Brown County in a way because the landscape and and the way that the forest is there, the the woods and all that, it's just so different. It looks different. It sounds crazy, but you'll know what I mean if you go to both uh, Brown County State Park and Yellowwood. It looks different. There's no other way to put it. And uh, so while we were there, we hiked the trail that I'm going to mention uh, as my little honorable mention. Uh, it was the Lake Perimeter Trail. Uh, I believe if you look in their little map, uh, trail map, it's listed as just the Lake Trail, I believe. And uh, it goes all the way around the perimeter of Yellowwood Lake and uh, at times meets up and combines with other trails. So you just need to make sure you're uh, following the correct blaze while you're on this trail at times. But as uh, long as you're following the lake perimeter, if you're going around the lake, then you know you didn't make a wrong turn because it's the only trail that goes all the way around. Um, and at times it gets a little bit rugged. Uh, I remember walking along about midway up uh, up a hill and just being maybe 20 feet below a ridge line. And then we got to we got to the bottom of that hill. We went back to the bottom, had to go all the way up another, and we were on top of that. We were walking the ridge line there. And you just kind of zigged and zagged your way down and back up because these were some not extremely tall hills, but just sudden extremely sudden and what that means is of course there's a lot of even if it's only 50 feet at the top or 100 feet at the top from from the bottom you're just doing it all at once so there were some rugged areas there was also an area where you had to get across a stream which most of the time is shallow when we were there, it had just rained a lot, so it was a little bit more of a pain. It's not going to sweep you away necessarily unless there's like 8 inches of rain in a day. Um, it's doable, but it's like, you know, you might get, if you just go across it without a care, you'll get across potentially without getting swept away, I would think, about 90% of the time. Um, it's just like you know extreme flooding and things like that might might hinder you but uh you what the biggest problem you might encounter is the problem i encountered which is even if you're wearing waterproof shoes if you step in the wrong place your foot's going to be all the way in the water and then the water will just pour in the top of the shoe because you can't waterproof the hole where your foot goes in so that's just something to consider it's not something to deter you from doing the trail there was a lot of beautiful views from the tops of some of the hills that we had to scale. There were a lot of awesome views into the woods uh, and views of the lake, a lot of good overlooks, a lot of good vantage points to take pictures. And it gives you an idea of how big this trail is, or this lake is. Uh, the trail is very long, but the lake is huge. And it's a great place for boating. So if you have the time and if you have the energy, and of course do your own research and I would recommend calling and making sure that rain or anything else hasn't caused that little stream area going across the lake trail it isn't entirely too high but there is a, a spot like I said if, if if the weather's been normal there's a spot where you can never really be in more than two to three inches of standing water 
So it's not that bad. But do your own research, enter at your own risk, all that good stuff. And uh, there's a couple other trails there too. I don't, I haven't done these, but I want to badly. The Tecumseh Trail is their 42-mile backpacking trail. Um, you start it in Yellowwood, and 42 miles later at the northern terminus, I would say that would probably be. You're at the Morgan, you're in the Morgan Monroe State Forest. Um, it pretty much goes right to their forest office. And uh, there are some designated uh, backcountry camping areas, and I, uh, one of them actually technically is the campground at Yellowwood. Um, the one thing I've heard is at different times of the year, again, in times of heavy rain, uh, what we here in the Heartland area like to call monsoon season, um, is that occasionally flooding may cause that trail to have some difficult spots, maybe even block or make impassable some areas of the trail. So watch out for that. Like I said, always you can always call ahead. Uh, the staff, uh, the team at Yellowwood is fantastic, and they will keep you apprised of the situation. The final trail, this is another one I haven't done, one of only... Okay, one of three is the hiking trail. And uh, this is a short one, a half mile up, a half mile back. It goes right up the side of a hill, and when you get to the top, it's supposed to lead to a scenic view, I believe, of Yellowwood Lake, if I have that right. It's a little spur off of the Scarce-A-Fat Trail. And it's called that because it'll burn some fat off you if you got any to spare. It's four pretty decently hard miles, uh, from what I've heard. And uh, it's pretty much, like I said, right there by the High King Trail. So check that out if you have the time. I want to do the scarce fat Trail and tell you about it sometime. I want to do the Tecumseh Trail, too, and tell you about that. I've actually never tried backpacking. So... That might be a future episode, potentially. Alright, so just a word on my experience at Yellowwood. And kind of inserting that into what I've already said. And I'm not going to take too, too long like uh, I usually do with this. Because I think as it sits, we're going to hit, easily hit the longest episode ever record uh, to date. But I think we're going to hit an hour and 20 minutes, hour and 25 minutes. So... I'm going to try and keep it as short as I can because I don't want to lose you. But staying at the cabin, the lodge at Yellowwood as they like to call it, was something of a life-altering experience for me. So solo travel just became part of my life maybe in the past year as of the recording of this episode. So it's August right now, so... That gives you an idea. I pulled up. I, I looked at the cabin online, and it, it, it seemed isolated enough. I thought I would be close to the campground, close to the forest office, and therefore kind of a part of the park. If you've been places like Hocking Hills or the Smokies, 
uh, places where there's cabins. You know what I'm talking about. You're at the cabin and you feel like you're in a peaceful environment, but you're not distant from society. It doesn't feel like that at all. I pulled up to the lodge at Yellowwood, and it was completely disguised as almost almost like another planet or something. I pulled up, and I'm not saying this to complain, but I, I, I pulled up and there was not really any kind of uh, Indiana Department of Natural Resource branding anywhere. It seemed like a private residence, and of course this is a couple miles up a gravel access road. I pulled into the driveway, which is probably somewhere close to a quarter mile long, and I came around to where it ends and where, like, the parking pad is. And there was no other infrastructure anywhere other than the lodge itself and the road that I took to get there. That's it. The nights were so quiet. The, the, the lodge itself, the cabin, was so quiet. And it felt like I was just in my own world, completely isolated from everything and everyone else. And for me, the absence of internet, which wasn't a huge deal, like I said, because I had 4G if I needed to make a call or something. But the absence of internet kind of exacerbated that and made it seem more like a getaway from the modern world. What I was left with was peace and quiet and the things that I wanted to do while I was there. I grocery shopped the night that I got there and I got two days worth of food and I went to my cabin and I didn't leave the forest after that except to go one place. It's just one store in Nashville that I always have to hit. Other than that, I didn't leave the state forest for anything. And that was the coolest part of my experience, because what I did was I planned a weekend where I would go hike and then go back to the cabin and eat and take the inspiration that I got from my hiking and channel it into one of my creative outlets uh, for those of you who don't know, and I may not have ever mentioned it on the show before, as a hobby, I'm a musician. I don't really try to make a career out of it, but I enjoy writing and recording music just as a hobby, just as something I do, uh, just the same way that some people do yoga or t take martial arts. And so I took my instruments with me, and I would go hike, and then I'd come back and write and record, and then I'd go back out and hike some more, and then I'd come back and record some more. This is the kind of environment for a creative person. It's the kind of environment for anybody. But it's especially the kind of environment for a creative person to go and, and work if you have a, a remote job, especially if, if it's uh, to do with something creative like communications or, or design or something. It's a great place to go to work on music or visual art if you're a painter uh, it's just a great place to go and be productive in your own unique way, especially because of the isolation. You're far away from society. Nobody can possibly interrupt you. So you can do whatever you want. You can go take the inspiration that you got from being 
in such a beautiful natural place you can take it back to where you're staying in this case the lodge at yellowwood and harness it into something beautiful and that was really the highlight of the experience for me and that's what was such a game changer because i had never really thought about doing it like that usually i will take notes and take pictures and go home and over the next couple days after being home, I will try and channel what I was feeling while I was there. But it's never the same, and those of you who are artists or writers of any kind, you'll know what I mean. You can't feel something now and channel it into your creative medium later. So that was one part of the experience. The other part of the experience was at its core, if you're just a tourist or just you know, your hobby is hiking and that's it. You have a beautiful environment that is all yours. You're the only person with a residence in the forest boundary. And you, you get up and you get out, leave your cabin. You hang a right out of the driveway. Go up the gravel road till it becomes pavement. Follow the pavement into where the trails are. You're there in two minutes. And it's just so unique having that feeling of your you wake up you open your windows and all around you it's just a forest it couldn't possibly be interrupted by anything there could possibly be no disruption of noise or a visual disruption in terms of a building that you see there's nothing else going on around you you're just surrounded by peace you're surrounded by nature 360 degrees it's all around you so what like i said what I did was I just I, I split up my time not necessarily to the second or to the minute but roughly an hour and a half of going into where all the trailheads are doing some hiking going back to the lodge having a bite to eat spending some time sitting outside and taking it all in I had a couple of nice days even though it was late winter I think the warmest day I was there was about 58 degrees, so it was, it was nice to sit outside. The sun was right overhead, you know, keeping everything warm. And, uh, of course, hanging out inside the cabin and, and uh, carrying out my creative hobbies. So, it was a, a beautiful experience. And this is usually the part of the episode where I insert some kind of routine that I have where I like uh, in, in the Cumberland Gap episode where I, I mentioned doing a seven or eight mile half day hike in the morning and following that with a trip to a cafe and then going off to another park and doing this or that route. But this trip just wasn't like that. It was a completely different experience. I went in the forest and I didn't come out until it was time to check out. And uh, that's how some trips should be. And that's how this trip was, and that's how it should have been. And next time I go, that'll be how it should be again. I wouldn't change a single thing about how it went. And I recommend anybody who doesn't necessarily depend on modern civilization 24-7 to give this a try. Get your food on your way in. Bring it to the cabin. Don't leave the forest. Just stay there. I guarantee you, you will come out refreshed, especially if you work a stressful job, or especially if you're a, a 
person who works in a creative industry or field, you'll come out with a renewed sense of inspiration either way, either to put into your work or to simply take with you as a, a pragmatic takeaway of some kind. You will find whatever you're looking for here, because I certainly did. So as we begin to get towards that time, and unfortunately it is that time, we are getting close to the end of the episode. And of course, before I go, I always talk about one thing I never leave without. And usually, it's something that I never leave for a hike without, but I'm going to change it up this time, because I might have actually stumbled onto something that some of you may not have thought of. I know some of my items seem obvious, but bear with me. I was a novice at one point. We all were. I probably reached somebody who never thought of putting something in their bag that might seem obvious to you, and after a couple years of training and experience seems obvious to me, and that's why I mention it. Some of the easy stuff is easy to miss, and therefore, some of the difficult stuff, some of the more advanced stuff, would be even easier to miss. So, I'll get to some more advanced or specialized tools, or as I like to call them, toys, but easy stuff is good too, because I'm trying to reach out to uh, beginner level, intermediate level, and experienced hikers. I, I want to reach out and touch you if you've been hiking for 55 years. I want to reach out and touch you if you've been hiking for 55 days. I'm right in the middle. I've been doing it for about six years. And uh, only in the past three or four years has it become a weekly or, if I'm really lucky, even daily thing. So uh, bear with me. If, you've, if you're closer to the 55-year mark, then uh, maybe eventually I'll think of something creative that you haven't thought to put in your day pack. And in the meantime, um, I'm just going to keep rolling with it. But anyways, like I said, usually it's something that goes in your bag that I like to talk about. But today I'm going to go a different direction with it. And it's something that does have to do with hiking in a way, and at least maybe even to do with camping or, or car camping or traveling. But this is something that if I'm going on a hiking trip, I'm never going to leave this home. And that's going to be my power station. And that's going to sound weird at first. But what I have is a little power station. Not little. It's not that little. It is somewhere around the 200 watt range. And it has enough juice to power a, a built-in compressor, a built-in LED light, and built-in jumper cables. This thing doesn't just have plugs to plug in a fan or plug in your phone or your laptop. It can charge my laptop, by the way, like 15 times. Um, a phone, I don't even know. I, I don't even know if I could count how high. I, I, it's just such a big number of times that it could charge your phone without dying. But anyways, what this is, is it has a household-style outlet, it's got four USBs, it's got an LED, it's got jumper cables built into it, and it's got an uh, air compressor built into it. The battery pack, the generator part of this thing, 
can power all of that stuff. You don't got to plug it in. You don't got to plug it into your car or anything like that. You charge it, it's good to go. And I never leave without this because think of all the times, if you travel as much as I do, and in the months of August, September, and into early October of this year, I will travel somewhere around three to 4,000 miles. And I never leave without this item because in that three to 4,000 miles, I am almost certain something will go wrong. Get a flat tire, leave the headlights on overnight. Well, that's, that's the one thing my somewhat basic car can actually do for me is turn off my headlights eventually. But you know what I mean. Um, anything can happen, and everybody needs a jump once in a while or a little air in their tire. And I'll tell you a little story that brings some relevance to this. And it's, it's actually got a lot of relevance because it has to do with the trip to Yellowwood that I took for the recording of this episode. I had this little machine with me, this compressor slash jump starter slash generator. And it was in my back seat of my little Honda. And I was heading on down Indiana 46 going home from my uh, Yellowwood trip, a very successful trip to Yellowwood State Forest, the trip that this episode is based on. And I look down and check my speed, and a big old tire light is just showing up on my, just lighting up on my dash. And I was, you're never too far from a town on this stretch of 46, and there's truck stops along the way. But this was the one stretch where I did have a few miles to go, maybe 15, 20 miles to the next town. And I thought, well, if I didn't have this machine, I'd have to either hope I make it to the next place that's got air, or if I'm really daring, hope I make it home. Which, home isn't too far past Batesville for me. Um, but the point is, I pulled off on the first little county road, little side road that I could find, and pulled off to the side of that, got off got off the highway, because that, that state highway is about 55, 60 mile an hour. So I pulled onto a little county road, and there was a little dead-end driveway off of that, so I pulled in there, got my generator out, had a built-in compressor, so I checked the pressure of my tire that was supposedly flat, 29 PSI. I'm supposed to be sitting at 36. So I filled it right up and got on my way. No problem. And that right there is why I never leave home without it. It seems kind of silly, maybe, unless you're somebody who's more than familiar with car trouble. But I never leave home without this device because something can and will go wrong, and I have proof because while I was on a trip, something went wrong. So the other added benefit was on this trip and on other trips subsequently. I wanted power somewhere that there wasn't power without an extension cord, and that was easily solved by this device because it had a household-style outlet and four USBs. I could charge my watch, my phone, my laptop, and I could do it anywhere, inside or outside the cabin or out in the park anywhere if I wanted to put a quick charge on my phone. I sat out, uh, like I said, the driveway to the lodge at Yellowwood had a a little view over up into a down into a little dip and then up over the ridge so I sat there and charged my phone and talked on it with somebody 
So it had it has a lot of uses. Mine specifically is a cat, as in the brand, the construction brand. Um, they don't know who I am. It's not really an advertisement. Um, lots of people make similar things. I will recommend mine because it is construction grade because that's kind of what it was made for. But if you find one that you think works better, go for it. The thing that's most important is having that access to an air compressor, a jump starter, uh, even the ability to charge your phone. Uh, that could be of great value in a million different situations. This thing is roughly the size of an Igloo Playmate cooler. It's not quite as long but it's about as tall, and it weighs about 18 to 20 pounds, maybe less. I have a bad concept of weight. It's, it doesn't weigh more than that, though, not by, not by any stretch. Um, it's got all kinds of kind of uh, protective rubber coating all around it. You can beat the crap out of this thing, and it's still going to run. So um, it's got a lot of other great features. I'm sure a lot of other ones do, too. I'm just really drawn to mine because of it, how simple it is to use. And uh, everything's got a shut-off switch, so when you turn it on to charge your phone, your jumper cables aren't, like, charged up and ready to go. That's a separate switch that you have to turn on. Um, so you can turn on each component separately. Um, and you can also use this thing just to check your tire pressure, which is also nice. So that's just one thing I never leave home without when I go on a hiking trip. It could be of many uses in many situations that could be anywhere from just casually wanting to charge your phone to needing to charge your phone because you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're lost and you need communication with the outside world so uh, give it some thought next time you go on a trip maybe you'd like to have something with you that can inflate your tires jump your battery and keep your phone charged up Alright, so an outlook for the rest of Season 1. I'm going a lot of cool places, I have a lot of great episodes planned, and I can't wait to tell you all about the places that I'm going to go. So next time on Nature's Finest, we are going to be staying in the state of Indiana, a beautiful state, I don't think a lot of people give it enough credit. And we're going to be going to a different region, though. This time we're going to be in southeast Indiana, maybe an hour and 15 minutes from Cincinnati. And we are going to be exploring the first of a series of parks and recreation areas located right around Brookville Lake. The first one we're going to explore is Mound State Recreation Area. Now what I think I'm going to do, see because we did a three-parter of three parks very close to one another down in the Gap area earlier this year. And I'm debating if I want to have all of these parks and rec areas close together like that, one after the other, and do a three-part episode, or if I want to break it up and go somewhere else so that you're not going to the same region three months in a row. I'll think about that while I make that episode and put it up for you to listen to, but next time we will be going to Mound State Recreation Area. It is a beautiful, beautiful place with 25 maybe 30 miles of hiking I believe there's biking opportunities there's camping cabins everything you can imagine all located right on beautiful Brookville Lake I can't wait to take you there and I think you're gonna find that it's an experience 
you weren't expecting to have in such an agriculturally based part of Indiana. I hope you're looking as forward to it as I am, because it is a truly, truly beautiful treasure. I don't want to ruin the surprise of the rest of the regular season episodes, but I can tell you, without giving too much away, that this November and December there will respectively be a Thanksgiving special and a Christmas special, but those will not be replacing the regular monthly episodes. So, you guys are getting a regular and a bonus episode each month in November and December. So that's going to be fun. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you will check out Yellowwood. Um, do, of course, do your own research. Uh, this is, I don't want to jinx it, but this is by no, no means the most dangerous park that I have examined so far on the show it's uh the hardest trails are still not as hard as the hardest trails at Cumberland Gap but they still can be pretty tough so don't take them lightly um always uh take note of trail conditions fire safety conditions and uh anything that you're even only 99% sure about as opposed to 100% double check with a ranger or a front desk person who can give you the information you need to be 100% confident in all of your hiking and other park-related decisions that you make while you're visiting. Uh, of course, do your own research and, and, and check with those pros, because I'm recommending you really good trails, but no one knows the park, or the forest in this case, better than the people who work there. So, look forward to Muska to talk next time, and... Thank you for listening. We will see you then.